0: before we get into the sermon this morning, let's just take a moment and let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to protect the nation of Israel, give wisdom and discernment to its leaders. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. We lift up the nation of Israel to you today, Lord. We thank you, dear Lord, for reestablishing your nation, your people. Lord, we thank you for its leaders. We thank you for those who are in military uh, places of decision and authority. We ask your Lord, that you would uh, protect them, that you'd give them wisdom, Lord, that you would guide them, Lord, in their decisions, Lord. Help them be able to protect uh, your people, Lord. And, Father, that um, the enemies uh, of Israel, Lord, uh, we, we know and we know that you have declared, Lord, that they will not stand. And, Lord, we believe with all of our heart that Evil must be defeated. And so, Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for what you will do. Lord, we, we pray for peace. We pray for peace of Jerusalem, and not just Jerusalem, but the peace of the entire nation. Lord, that they would uh, be protected. and Lord, that many of them, as they already are, would come to know you through what you do as revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go to the Word. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'll be honest with you, as I've prepared and studied for this message, it's made me nervous. It's put me in the hot seat because it talks about head coverings and the roles of men and women and all of those things. And some pastors would simply just look over this passage and go on to something else that's a little bit easier to talk about. But I'm not those pastors. So, um, and whether you like it or not, we're going to deal with it. (laughs) Amen. All right. Because, hey, it's hot button issues. It's things that make people nervous. But you know what? If God's word talks about it, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it from right here at this brand new pulpit that someone graciously purchased, uh, saw it as listed out and uh, as one of the items for purchase in our refresh. And they went and they they took it upon themselves to, to purchase and donate it to the church. So we're thankful for that. And um, we're, we're thankful for all that the Lord is doing in our church. And thankful for you. Um, it's an honor to be your pastor. And uh, you know, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created male and female. He made them, male and female, in His image, right? God made man in His own image. And ever since then... Man has been trying to make God into his image. And that's the title of the message today, God in our image. And I say that facetiously because we should never try to make God in our image. We should remember that we are made in his image. But one of the the most deceptive forms of idolatry that is rampant across our nation and our world. And I've even, even heard elements of this right here where we are. And even in my own heart, I have to battle this. And here's the thing, what we do. We think God thinks like us. And we, we talked about this Wednesday night briefly, but we said in Isaiah uh, chapter 55 that the Lord says, What my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And my ways are higher than your ways. God does not think like you. (laughs) And thank God that he does not think like us. Because if we just had the, the job of being God for one day. Guess what? We would fail miserably. The universe would cease to exist. Because we can't uphold it the way God upholds the universe. We don't have his power. We don't have his wisdom. None of those things. And, and the problem that we do is we, we come to some issue like this. The Corinthian church facing a cultural issue. And we begin to impose our own thoughts and our own beliefs based on our context and based on our culture, upon God. And we say, well, my God would not believe that, or my God would not say that, or my God would not do that. And what did we just do? We brought God down to our level. We made God into our own image. Okay, so the first Corinthian church is dealing with some cultural issues and And as Paul is talking about idolatry, his mind begins to go toward one particular issue, and that's the roles of authority in the church and how we are supposed to respect that authority and how if the church wants to see the glory of God manifest among them, then they must begin not to To recognize their own selves as having any authority. But that Jesus Christ has all authority in the church. And that he alone, his glory alone is what we should seek, not ours. We think about the children of Israel. And they're gathered around Mount Sinai. And the glory of God comes down upon the mountain. And shakes the mountain. And they hear loud sounds. And they see the lightning. And they Hear the thunder and they see the smoke and the fire. What happens? All of their attention. All of their attention is drawn toward the mountain. Toward God. And folks, that's what we want. We want the Shekinah glory of God to be manifest among us. That's what will bring revival. That's what will make us desire no other thing other than God. Is for us to see the glory of God manifest among us. And when we do that, people will be saved. Because you can't stand in the presence of God and hold on to your sin at the same time. It won't happen. And so from the very beginning, though, the enemy has been trying to fight against that and keep that from happening. And he's been fighting against that today, this morning, even in your own heart. As you got up and you got dressed this morning and you were putting your face on. And you were fixing your hair and you're putting all your clothes on and everything was happening. Right there in your mind, the battleground right there of the mind, the glory of God was either recognized or you tried to put God in your own image. One or the other. But I want to tell you this truth this morning. This is the biblical truth. Jesus will never share his glory with another. Jesus will never share his glory with the other. We hear uh, the words of Isaiah. let me put that up there. Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He won't share his glory, and that means he won't even share his glory with the on- with your own imagination of who he is. He's not going to share glory with that. And when we talk about glory, glory refers to weightiness or heaviness or importance. In the Old Testament, the word is Shekinah. In the New Testament, the word is Doxa. We get our word doxology from that. What is doxology? Well, that, that's praise or the praise of his glory. That's what that is. So as we, as we speak of his glory, that's what doxology means. And so we're talking about the weightiness or the heaviness or the importance of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to share that with anyone else. It belongs to him and him alone. Not to you, not to me, not to any other thing. So I want you to stand with me. We're going to read verses 2 and 3 and then we'll get into the rest of it because there's a lot there. And there's a lot that we're going to have to dig into here for the next few minutes as we study God's word together. Let's, let's just back up and read verse 1 again. That was in our previous text, but this is how Paul transitions into the, the subject matter verse 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The Greek word there is mimic. Mimic Paul as he mimics Christ. In other words, if you're going to follow Paul, who are you going to follow? Christ. I hope you can say the same thing of yourself. If you follow me, you'll be following Christ. That's what Paul said in verse two. He says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand. That the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is is God. Now let's pause here for a moment and let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word together today as we sit under the teaching of your word. Not one man, not one woman, Lord, is out of your sight or not under the authority of your scripture today. And So, Father, we pray that out of reverence for Christ, we would submit to the word preached that we would love you first and foremost. We would give you the glory that you deserve, Lord. We wouldn't receive any glory of ourselves. But Lord, we would, rec- we would give it all to Christ. And Christ would receive the glory from us. Lord, let us not make you into our image. But let us reflect your image. And bear it. So that others may see your glory. And worship you and glorify you. And be prepared to meet you on the day that you return. We pray, pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So when we think, when we speak about the glory of God here in the passage, there's, there's four points I, I believe Paul is making about the glory of God here. And so the first thing is the glory of God, God's glory, is number one, revealed in Christ. So look at verse two again. Now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. As Paul's speaking about the traditions, he's not just talking about how on Thanksgiving you eat turkey with dressing and all the fixing's, and you know, or, or on Christmas, you hang the ornaments on the tree, and you put the star on last, and you eat uh, Mom, we eat uh, pecan pie. Just reminding you about that just so you'll be ready when it's time. That's an important tradition. But when Paul speaks of the traditions, he's not talking about just some things that we do to commemorate certain times of the year or anything like that. He's speaking specifically about the teachings of the apostles, the, the life and ministry Death, burial and resurrection of Jesus and the bulk of all of those teachings, the teachings of Christ that were handed down through the apostles and were revealed by the Holy Spirit, delivered to the churches, eventually written down, collected and codified into what we call the New Testament. And so when he says traditions, that's what he's speaking about. The Corinthians didn't have a bound copy of the New Testament, However, they had received the word of God because the Apostle Paul had visited and written and shared with them, this is how you are to live as a Christian. And he didn't do that with just his own opinion. He did that with authority, apostolic authority. And so what this boils down to for me is it doesn't matter what we think about certain matters or how we feel on a particular point of doctrine. It matters what God says. Amen. Abigail came into the room this morning and it was still dark and quiet outside of our room. And she woke up and she was a little fussy. She came into our room and and she wanted to go back out. She wanted to go wake up Will and Kendall, my niece and my nephew. And I knew that Jesse and Jordan, they're here with us today, my brother and sister-in-law, that they were still sleeping. And so Abby said, I'm going to go back out. And Allison said, no. But I want to go see Will and Kendall. And Allison said, no, you're not going back out. And so guess what happened? Abigail didn't get her way. She thought she was going to go out, but Allison stopped her. And sometimes we have these conversations with our children and our children are telling us all the reasons why we should think the way that they think. But ultimately, they still have to do what we say, right? So you can tell God all of the things that you think and you can pray in your prayer time, God, this is what I think, this is my will and all of those things. But when it boils down to it, It's not what you think, it's what God says. And that's especially true whenever it comes to the person and work of Jesus Christ. You cannot begin to make Jesus into your own image and think that Jesus thinks the way that you do. Instead, we should say, what would Jesus do or what would Jesus say? And that, folks, that's not that question is not up for interpretation. It's been written. What Jesus would do and what Jesus would say is what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And it's all about authority. Look at verse three. Verse three is about the authority that should be present in the church. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. When he says the head of every man, he's, he's speaking generally, broadly, universally. Christ is over every single man, whether you acknowledge it or not. Let me me just give you an example. You woke up this morning and the first thing you did was you took took a breath. You opened your eyes. When you took that breath, you were breathing Christ's air into your lungs. When you opened up your eyes, you were seeing the world that Christ created. It's all to him, for him, through him, And, and And you don't live on a world that you created. The head of every man is Christ. The headship of the Lord means that he has authority over us, right? And we should submit to that authority. In other words, someone has to be in charge and it's not you. The head of every man is Christ. Now, look at the next statement and a lot of people are... They have trouble with this, but we'll hopefully clear it up this morning. The head of the wife is her husband. We think about the head of the wife who is in authority over the wife. And notice it doesn't say the woman, it says the wife. And that word should be translated wife because it's speaking specifically about the union of marriage. And it doesn't say that the head of, of a woman is every man, right? What does it say? Her husband. Her husband. Now we'll dig into this a little bit more in just a few minutes. So if you're angry at this point, you'll be angry later. Even more angry. But right here it's saying that the wife is to submit to the authority, the spiritual authority of her husband. Okay? So we'll get on into that. But here's the point. There is order. And Christ is, number one, he is in charge. He has all authority, and when it comes to the church, shouldn't we reflect that? So we should do church biblically, and we should think about church biblically, and we should worship biblically. We shouldn't just sing any songs that we want to sing up here. We shouldn't just do anything that we want to do. And by the way, I don't know about grace that's greater than our sin anymore, Cody. It has a, it has a line that I think was written in Tuscaloosa somewhere about crimson tide. I don't, I don't know about that one. Maybe we can keep it. I don't know. All that the Lord wants us to know about life and godliness and worship and reverence and everything that we need to know about Jesus is revealed by the person and work of Jesus Christ through the scripture. And we need to be biblical about what we do. Colossians 1 and verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then John 1, verse 14, John said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He is the absolute image of God revealed. And he's in charge. And so we see it revealed in Christ, but secondly, we see the glory of God reflected in the created order. So everything flows from that. If if Christ is the head and the head of Christ is God, then everything else flows from that. Look at verse four again. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is It is the same as if her head were shaven. Now you got to follow the argument here. And it's talking about what was culturally happening during that day. And during that day, there were men who would wear a garb over their head as they went into pagan worship. And it was it was like a a headdress thing that they would wear or a cloth covering. They wear it when they went into sacrifice to the pagan idols. And Paul is saying, listen, men, you need to remember that Christ is in charge, not these other idols out here. And so you better not cover your head when you go in to worship the Lord. Don't do that. Don't worship the Lord the same way the pagans worship their idols, in other words. And so he tells them not to do that. But then he goes on to say that uh, a wife, if she prays or prophesies, don't get hung up on that. That's just talking about getting up and speaking publicly about the Lord, if she stood here and she said something in front of us, a wife, or she prayed, then she should have her head covered, he said. Well, what is that about? Well, in that day, women, and Paul even addresses this, he talks about how they adorn themselves. They put gold in their hair and they wear earrings and necklaces and and try to, you know, draw attention to themselves in front of the church. You see how that's wrong? If you're drawing attention to yourself, guess who you're not drawing attention to? Jesus, right? And so he says that they shouldn't get up there and do that with their head on. Instead, they should wear that that covering over their head. And then he goes on to say, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Now, we have saying is, listen, if, if you're just going to let your hair do its thing and you're going to, you know, put gold in it and all of those things like that and not cover that up, then you ought to cut it off. But since you shouldn't cut it off because that's not right either, cover it up. And then he says, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And then we'll get to the book of because of angels in just a second. But I want you to think about that word, symbol of authority. Human beings are the crowning work of God's creation. We were created to both glorify God and to bear His likeness. And as image bearers, we are called to reflect His created order. In our relationships. And that means exercising and submitting to authority. And that also means reflecting the roles that God has given us. And Paul is especially concerned about maintaining that order in worship. And, he, and he's talking about praying and prophesying. That's in the worship setting. And there's three arguments about this that Paul makes. He argues from headship and he says. The man is the head of the wife. And then the second argument, he argues from creation and he says there is order within the creation. And then the third argument is from human nature in verses 13 through 15 that we'll look at in just a moment. And so what that means for me and what that means for you is when I enter into this holy place, not the building, but the gathering of God's people, my outward appearance should demonstrate that I recognize the authority that is over me. And that any man or woman who would stand or pray and speak should recognize and submit to that authority. It's that simple. We don't have to complicate it. That's what this passage is about. And then he goes on to say, because of the angels. And here's the thing. If a a woman, a wife, I should say, came and stood here and was not submissive to her husband, then someone's going to get offended. And it's not you or me that get offended. Look at what it says. He says, because of the angels. Now, I believe this with all my heart. This is a complicated text, and I get that, but. Here, what Paul is saying is, when we gather together in this holy place, guess who else is here? Not just us. I believe that we're standing on holy ground. And I believe that there are angels all around. Right? Let us praise Jesus now. We're standing in His presence on holy ground. And so that means that angels are watching you and me. And whenever they see a disrespect of the authority of Christ in this place, they're offended. Whenever we decide we're going to do it our way and not His way, they're offended. 1 Corinthians 6, and this is previous to the passage that we're reading, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body, meaning body collectively, the church, is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now I know the burning question that everyone has is. Pastor Josh are you telling all the women. That they need to cover their head. And the answer to that question is no. Unless Jesus tells you to. But no you shouldn't cover your head. But what you should do. Is recognize and reverence the authority. Of your husband if you're married. I'll give you a perfect example of how this played out in our church. Do you remember when Alyssa Childers came? She came to our church. And she did an excellent job, didn't she? Amen. She did such a great job. She expounded the text. And she expounded the culture. And she did such a good job of teaching us about the dangers of progressive Christianity. And she did it from right here. But guess what she also did? She was submissive to her husband and she spoke of him. And she told everyone that she was married and that she submitted to and she appreciated his leadership in her life. And all of those things as she shared with us with authority from this place. Now, now she did all of that, but when it came time to the worship setting, guess what she said? I'm not going to preach. That's not my role. I'm not called to do that. So she stepped down and allowed me to preach. And then afterward, she spoke. That was a woman recognizing the authority over her. Which was a wonderful example. And so Paul says, listen, there's certain roles but I want you to tell you, thirdly, the glory of God as it's revealed in Christ and it is reflected in the created order, it is rejected by the culture. The culture hates what we're preaching today. The culture cannot stand everything that we're speaking about today. Even some uh, some biblical scholars, they look at this and they argue for egalitarian relationships. And they say, no, Not only are men and women equal in value, but they're also equal in function. That's the anything you can do, I can do better crowd, right? No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. And that's what happens all around the world. That is where gender confusion originates. When we don't recognize the distinctive roles of men and women and how those roles reveal the glory of God in creation. When we decide we know better, we bring God down and put him in our image. Then that's when the culture begins to get off the rails. And so there's the egalitarianism is one option. The wrong option. But but there's another view of human sexuality called feminism or patriarchalism. Have you ever heard of that? Feminism. What is it about? The culture constantly attempts to elevate one of the sexes over the other. Patriarchal societies suppress women's rights and tell men that they are more valuable and they tell women to sit down. And I want you to understand, the biblical, the biblical teaching on this matter is not that women should sit down, but that men should stand up. And men should take their role. That's really what it's about. It's, it's not about women sitting down. It's about men taking their spot, taking their role. And they tell women to sit down, shut up, and serve the man. Well, on the, on the opposite extreme, there's the feminism, uh, feminist position, uh, the, the Wonder Woman in the, the Isle of Women or whatever it was, lesbos or whatever it was. Any system that devalues one sex or the other or disregards the unique roles of the sexes undercuts the biblical teaching on the subject. Well, what does Paul say? What does the Bible say? Paul espouses what the Bible teaches, and it's called complementarianism. The view of the male and female relationship that says men and women are equal in value, but have different functions that complement one another. And you can go all the way back to the very beginning, and you can see how God did this. And that's what Paul is saying when he says, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. See, God had said he was going to find a helpmate suitable, make a helpmate suitable for the man. And then verse 12, for as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman. So they complement one another. <laughs> woman was, I mean, could, could there be a man without a woman? No. Could there be a woman without a man? No. And so the two complement one another. And it's cer- certainly important. And when we get off that rail, when we get away from Scripture, we get away from God's design, and we reject that, then we're led into all kinds of perverse thoughts and behaviors. And, and, and we're seeing even today with the, the advent of artificial intelligence, new Bible passages. Can you, can you believe that? New Bible passages. Not, not Scripture. Written by artificial intelligence. I read about this uh, with the advent of AI. Chat GPT you ever heard of that? Some of you may have heard of that. More and more people are turning to these bots to answer their questions, or complete tasks, or some of them you know, college students are getting chat GPT to write their papers, and things like that. And in the case of this story, false. Encouragement. According to a Reddit post, a trans identifying individual posted, I was feeling sad today. And so this person turned to AI for encouragement, turned to ChatGPT to write a fake Bible passage about Jesus accepting trans people. Okay, and here's the text that that ChatGPT came up with. And a woman, whose heart was divided between spirit and body, came before him. Doesn't it sound like biblical language there for a second? It It gets worse. In quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged, for my spirit and body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, My child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves. For they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my Father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved. For God looks not upon the body, but on the heart. Now, Now, I want you to get this now. I want you to see how subtle this is and how how horrible it is that when we neglect the biblical teaching, where should this person have gone for encouragement? Well, it should have gone to the Word of God, the true Word of God, the true abiding Word of God that was once and for all delivered unto the saints and has absolute authority in the church. This is where we should go for encouragement. She turned to a chatbot. And the chatbot created A false, a lie, a false passage for her to follow. Now, this is idolatry in the worst form. This is creating God in our own image. And this is what she worshipped and bowed down to. Romans 1, Paul deals with this. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal, immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. And the lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations. For those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Can can you see the connection, church, between this form of idolatry and sexual perversion and gender confusion? Can you see that? Paul makes the direct connection and we should too. Why? Because what's happening is When we distort who God is, then we can't see who we are in the right light anymore. And it all becomes fuzzy and blurry. Man, whenever we gaze upon the true glory of God, it will change us and we will begin to think like Him and to behave like Him and to reflect His glory. And so that's the call for the church. And that's really where Paul leaves this whole thing off. He says in verse 16, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, if you want to go against it, if you want to go against the authority that God has placed over you, you want to go against who He says He is revealed in Scripture, and you want to come up with something else, he says we have no such practice. In other words, the authority of the church. Paul is saying the apostles... We, the apostles and those who are accompanying the apostles and teaching the apostles' teaching, he says, we don't practice that. In other words, don't let that into the church. It has no place in the church, nor do the churches of God. So when we think about the glory of the church, it should be reverenced by the church. It should be respected and revered by the people of God. What do we do? Well, we're in peril. The church in America is in peril. The church in Corinth was in peril of losing the glory of God in the church. Because they were attempting to take glory for themselves. The men in the Greek culture that were practicing this head covering in pagan sacrifices... And then some of them converting it to Christianity. And now they're doing the same thing. Paul says you're in danger. The women who are dolling themselves up. And getting themselves all. And standing up in front of the church. So that they can receive attention. Paul says they're in danger of losing the glory of God in the church. If you're drawing attention to yourself in worship. You're in danger of diminishing the glory of God in the church. You're not worshiping Christ if you're receiving attention. Saint Francis de Salle said, Some men become proud and insolent because they ride fine horses. They wear a feather in their hat or, or dress in a fine suit of clothes. Who does not see the folly of this? If there be any glory in such thing, the glory belongs to the horse or the bird or the tailor. If we're going to see the glory of God in the church, we must worship Him and Him alone, not a false created God in our own image. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. The glory of God is revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, He is exactly who He says. He is. He is Lord of all. And one day, the Bible says every knee will see him, every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. One day that's going to happen. And if you have not recognized the glory, the weightiness, the importance, the magnitude of Jesus Christ and all that he did, and you have not surrendered your heart to him as Lord and received him as Savior, then you are not ready for that day. But you can be. See, this same Jesus who dwelled in unapproachable light, he inhabited human flesh. He lived a sinless life and He took your place on a sinner's cross and He died and He shed His innocent blood for you so that you could be set free of your sin. So that you can have new life and you can enter into eternity with Him and be blessed forever. And so if you believe that with all of your heart, And you're coming to him now. I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's a simple prayer. He's drawing you this morning. And and he just wants you to respond in faith to what he's done. And this is how you do it. Just turn to him in your heart and say, Lord, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong. And I've failed to do things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin." But Jesus, I believe that you died for me on a cross. You paid the penalty for my sin, though you had never sinned. Jesus, you were raised again on the third day and you're alive. And you are Lord over everything. So I surrender to you as my Lord and Savior. I turn from my sin and I put my faith in you to save me. Forgive me, Jesus. Make me a new person. And I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. And Jesus, thank you for saving me. And now I know that when I die, I will be with you in heaven. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now? And if you prayed that prayer with all your heart, you meant it. And something miraculous has happened inside of you. The Lord Jesus Has taken your sin and he's nailed it to the cross. And you're free from your sin. And now he's calling you to live a life of obedience to him and his word. As your Lord and Savior. And if you've made that decision this morning. You prayed that prayer. Then we need to know about it. We want to know about it. So we can encourage you. And we can celebrate with you. We can offer you believers baptism. We can... Offer you a small group where you can grow and learn in the faith. And we can offer you the tools and resources. So you can learn more about Christ and what it means to serve Him. And so this is your invitation. Come and share what Jesus has done for you. If you need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray for you and with you. And if today you wanted to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church as your church. To love and serve Jesus here among us. Then you come and we welcome you here.